I think just sitting down again, having a plan, trying to think it through, rather than just going on Black Friday with a credit card with a, you know, a, a big limit and then just you know, thinking about it later, you know, it's February 10th and you're like, oh man, what did I do? You know, just kind of go in with a plan. I think that's stewardship too, right? A stewardship of, of our money and our responsibility and our time and our own hearts. And it's just a good opportunity to try to sit down on the front end, think it through, plan effectively. Uh, if you're married, talk to your spouse, work it out, pray, ask the Lord for wisdom. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Eric Raymond. Eric serves as the senior pastor of Redeemer Fellowship Church in Watertown, Massachusetts. He's also a frequent contributor to many websites, including the Gospel Coalition, and is the author of Chasing Contentment, Trusting God in a Discontented Age from Crossway. Today, Eric and I discuss what it looks like to cultivate a spirit of contentment in a world that often seems dead set on helping us do the opposite. He explains what's unique about a distinctly Christian approach to contentment, highlights the connection between contentment and gratitude, and offers some practical advice for navigating the consumerism of the holiday season that's just around the corner. Let's get started. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Yeah, man, it's great to be with you. So we're coming up on Thanksgiving in a few days, and it seems to me that contentment and gratitude are two closely related concepts. So I just wonder if you could start us off by defining, how do you define each of those two words, and how do you see them relating to one another? Yeah, good question. So contentment... Uh, really would be, you know, kind of the old definition of the inward, gracious, quiet spirit um, that is able, basically shows itself in resting. And so it's, it's inward, it's not external, it's quiet, it's not grumbling, and it's a spirit, it's, your, you know, your being, your person. Um, and it is able to really endure through various and sundry experiences and circumstances. So really contentment is the ability to to sail through these different seasons uh, without really going too high or too low, but you're able to, to sail like the Apostle Paul in uh, Philippians 4. Gratitude, I think, is is the heartfelt response to a particular circumstance that engenders praise and thankfulness. I mean, it, it realizes that it doesn't come from yourself. It comes externally, uh, whatever this gift would be. Um, so I think I think there's definitely a relationship between the two. So if you're if you're living with a sense of personal indebtedness and dependence upon, in our case, uh, God as our Creator, and that everything we have is a good gift from Him, uh, that really could, should cause us to be able to be experiencing things in life with contentment, because we know that God is everything good we have has come from God, and um, so we should be grateful people. And that should make us to be content because we have a perspective. So contentment, gratitude rather, will relativize all of our circumstances in light of God's good gifts. And that should make us happy. It should make us content. Yeah. Yeah, I'm struck by when you initially were defining contentment, um, it, it can almost sound a little bit like a stoicism in the face of kind of whatever might come, good or bad. Uh, is, that, is that what you're saying? Is, is that an element to it? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a difference, difference between the two. Um, uh, stoicism really is you're, you're trying to 
you're trying to really master yourself by yourself. And I mean, if that's, that's a really reductionist view, but I mean, in, in essence, it's what you're doing is like, I have the power over myself to endure these things. Whereas Christian contentment, what we're talking about is it's the result of the, the Holy Spirit working and living inside of the believer. And it's his grace operating in our lives. And so when Paul is able to say he's, he's learned to be content in any circumstance, He's not saying, like, I'm, I'm the master here. I'm on the varsity level of Christianity because I'm able to do all this stuff. Look at me. But rather, he's, he's attributing his, his praise to God through Christ so he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So I think there's a difference in terms of the source and really the constraining power uh, in the life of the Christian. So there's a difference between Stoicism in that regard. Yeah, I am struck. You mentioned you know, maybe like a non-Christian view of contentment. It, it does seem to me that in our culture today, but even in if you look broader around the world or in history, the importance, the value of contentment is sort of well understood, and it's it's often held up as a a virtue, even among non-Christians or people of other faiths. And so, uh, can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like, what is it that makes the Christian view of contentment, uh, whether it's it's pow- the power that we have for contentment, but but even like what it actually is. Uh, distinct. Yeah, certainly. I think I think it sticks out, right? If anybody is anybody is able to endure really difficult patches in life, or uh, maybe even an entire life of difficulty, you know, non-Christian or Christian, I mean, it it sticks out and it, it gets your attention because that's not the norm. I mean, uh, normally people are taken high and low uh, based upon their circumstances, and uh, f- for the Christian. I think specifically, we, we're really coming at this with the recognition that in ourselves, we, we really don't have anything. So the fact of the matter is that any of this virtue that we seem to be demonstrating in our lives is solely attributed to Christ and his power and his, his working in us. And, and it should be something that's growing in the midst of the life of the Christian. So it's not, it's not like your day your, of your conversion, you get zapped with contentment and you have these superpowers. Uh, but rather, it's it's something that's continuing. I mean, even the Apostle Paul says he's learned. Uh, this is something that is a, it's a process in life. And so I think it should be for Christians, in, whether it's in a full bloom or it's in the bud form, uh, it should be something that should be on display. It should be a mark of grace in the life of the Christian. So you might look at a non-Christian and say, well, that's remarkable. Um, this person is, you know, has this affliction or this difficult patch in their entire life. And this person really sticks out, but and and that's remarkable and noteworthy, and we should be be grateful and honor those. But looking at the Christian, on the other hand, we should be able to look at it and say, you know, this seems to be a distinguishing mark of the Christian, the one who is trusting in Jesus. They seem to have a, a marks of contentment in their lives that uh, uh, seem to just some people it's it's blooming brightly, and other people in, in smaller form. But it seems to be a distinguishing mark, much like love would be for those who follow Christ. Mm. Uh, do you think it's uh, the case that some people, maybe contentment as a general attitude uh, or maybe a norm would come more naturally to them? It seems like some people just, it's almost part of their um, natural makeup or personality that they kind of are more content and other people uh, maybe have to struggle more. Do, do you think that's the case? Yeah, I think so people have different struggles and uh, different tendencies. Like some people might be more prone to anxiety and worry and other people it might be bitterness and other people just, 
maybe kind of go with the flow type people and other people feel really like they want to try to control circumstances. Yeah, so I think it, it, it can definitely vary with uh, different mm. people. What would you say is your experience with contentment and discontentment? Like kind of where do you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I mean, so one of the reasons writing the book is because I struggle with it. And uh, I, I felt like uh, just in reading Hebrews 13 in particular that, that the Lord was reminding me that really he's the source of everything good that we have, and he's the one who's faithful. Even if you lose everything else, you have him, and then you're rich, right, even if you have nothing. Um, so that's, that's an amazing reality. And so for me, I, just, I feel like I struggle on the, the side of trying to plan and uh, really make what I think are, are good plans and try to execute those plans, and then they don't go the way I want to. And that's really, really discouraging, and it can you know, be a spiral and a funk, and you get bitter and discouraged, and you find yourself out of the game, and you, you realize like this, that's actually a trial that's intended to, to point you to Christ and then walk in his, his strength and his power and for his glory rather than your own. So oftentimes discontentment becomes a subtle rebuke in the day-to-day and just seeing the lack of uh, treasuring Christ. Yeah, well, I'm struck that even that mention about um, maybe a, a desire for control and discontentment, that discontentment kind of can key into other struggles or mm-hmm. s- sins that we might often struggle with. Yeah, I think I think discontent discontentment becomes kind of a some of the rotten fruit of our sin that we begin to to see it come out, and you know, kind of that restlessness, the grumbling, the anxiety. Um, you know, shop, uh, biting comments, devouring one another, gossip, all those things. I mean, they're just, they're revealing that there's real discontentment in the soul um, that doesn't fundamentally pivot on the circumstances, but actually on God himself, who's in control. Yeah. He's he's the sovereign one. So I feel like I hear, we hear a lot of people these days, um, including non-Christians, like we've said already, kind of cultivating or promoting uh, the importance of cultivating gratitude in our lives, whether that's for the sake of uh, our relationships, relationships with other people, or even often I hear it spoken of in categories of our own psychological well-being. You know, cultivating a grateful heart, you know, goes a long way to helping you be happy and satisfied. Um, and so, on the one hand, it does seem like our culture is all about gratitude and contentment to some extent as well. And yet it also can seem like our culture is obsessed with getting more and getting bigger and better uh, things. We're very consumeristic. Uh, We're always looking for the next thing to entertain us. So what do you make of that seeming contradiction? On on the one hand, it it seems like gratitude and contentment are seen as virtuous and promoted like that in our culture, but then we're also very uh, discontent. Yeah, I think it's compartmentalized pragmatism. Right. We don't we don't think holistically. We always well, just the natural default of kind of especially Western American thinking is is pragmatism and we we compartmentalize it. So on one hand, you can say, yeah, it's it's a good thing to be grateful. We should do that. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. I should be grateful. Grateful for what? Well, make a list. Grateful to whom? That's really not important. Just Mm. be grateful. That's a good thing. And there's, you know, this study of. Harvard University says it's it's very good to be grateful, and here's some reasons why. And so, oh, that makes sense. I should try to be more grateful and practice gratitude, and really without any consideration of to whom we are grateful, and really what that means for our day to day life. 
And then contentment, yeah, I mean, that sounds really good. Right? We should be content and have this ability. It almost seems like some type of a superpower to be able to do that. Um, but really, what does that mean when you're getting bombarded with advertisements and constant um, solicitations to buy more things, to upgrade this and to trade this in and to change your wardrobe and get a new job? I mean, it's always the seeds of discontentment are constantly being sown in our face. And I think that's just compartmentalized um, um, pragmatism because it works. It works for the people that are putting up the signs. It works for the people that are selling the self-help books. It works for the people that are trying to help you to be a better person. I mean, it all it all works, but it's not working if you think about like what's behind the whole thing. There's usually some type of selfishness behind it um, that really doesn't sustain you and it can't bear the freight of what you need. Yeah. Yeah. You've said that we live in a discontented age. Um, what are some of those specific things that you that you think are contributing to maybe a uniquely uh, challenging time to live when it comes to contentment? Yeah, so I think discontentment's been been a challenge ever since the Garden of Eden. Um, we just we probably have more opportunities to fuel our discontentment with obviously with technology, right? So you can open up any any of the various social media platforms, and you are reminded. Um, just even with looking at somebody's profile, what they have and what you don't have. Um, they have a blue check mark, you don't. They have more followers, you don't. They have tons of activity, right? And then you start looking at what people are posting and you're seeing people's lives, what they have um, and how they're spending their time. And suddenly you realize, well, I really don't have a lot. I really want this. And maybe if I had you know, these shoes or this physique or this vehicle then or this job, things would be better for me. And right, so these are just just ways in which we're bombarded. And now, you, I mean, that's before you even finish your cup of coffee, you're, you're hit <laughs> right. with that. And then you read the news and you're told how to think and you get commercials and commercials, uh, really, you, you need to do this. You need to act on this and you need to go. Um, and then you get into a situation where you feel like you don't have enough money and now you're at work and you're trying to, trying to, you know, I need a better job. I need to do this. I need to move here. And now, now you're looking at houses over here. So it's just, this, and it's so easy. You got it right in the palm of your hand with your phone. You're able to just keep going. And so the phone is not the problem. The hearts are the problem. The phone's a tremendous tool. Um, but we just have the opportunity to continue to to scroll through um, these various ways in which that, that tend to make us more and more con- discontent. And uh, that's just a unique challenge because somebody, you know, a hundred years ago, even forty years ago, doesn't have those, those yeah. that access. They might read the newspaper and think of a couple of things in the morning, and then you know, you're off and you're running with your day. Uh, so I think technology definitely helps to pour a little accelerant on our discontentment today. And anyone who's trying to be mindful of contentment would need to take into consideration their technology intake. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple of things like uh, looking for a new house or a new pair of shoes or a new job. I think that might raise a question in people's mind. Is it ever okay to be discontent? Like, is there a category of... Um, wanting things that you don't have and that being okay. I, I mean, we all have bought a house, uh, or maybe not all of us, but many of us will have bought a house or many of us will have bought new clothes. And so what's, how do you distinguish between uh, contentment and a desire for things that you don't already have? Yeah, I think that's a key question and a key key point. Um, I think just from a from a spiritual growth standpoint, like there should be a holy discontentment in the sense that we should constantly want to be more Christ-like and to, and to grow and to be more, more godly. So we should never be content in the sense that we're like, all right, you know, I'm just fine with this level of sin and knowledge and 
this is just fine where I am. We should always want to be striving and pressing on and growing. And then in kind of the natural expression of our lives, right? So if contentment is not saying we're, we're, we're not trying to grow or uh, advance or um, take advantage of opportunities, provide for a family, provide for self to take on more learning. Because, I mean, when you're, you're reading books, you're learning. It's not because you're necessarily discontent. You might just want to learn something or take up a hobby and get better at it or get another house, or move to another house, move to another area, take another job. Um, so I think what, what, where it starts at is you have to think, why am I doing this very yeah. thing? Like, what am I trying to fill in a hole? Am I trying to uh, provide for some type of identity or some source of basically a functional savior that's going to fulfill a need and to make me feel whole or complete or in, in, in any various way and demonstrate some level of comfort or control. Like these are the types of things we have to, to think through. So it's not necessarily wrong to obviously want to, maybe somebody wants to get a different clothes or they want to buy a house, they want to get a new car. These are reasonable things. But the question is, why do you want to get it? Um, what's, what's pushing you to want to do it? And uh, really evaluate. It, these are the types of questions that cause you to evaluate spending and appetites and your hungers and why you're doing what you're doing. And these are good questions that it seems like responsible Christians should be engaging in regularly. Um, we don't just eat whatever's in front of us and whatever we want. I mean, that's what kids do. And parents tell them, like, you can't just eat this food all the time. You, you need to have a healthy diet. You need to think behind why we are doing these things. And I think that's what it comes down. Yeah, it seems like sometimes there's there can be a conf- conflation of contentment on the one hand uh, and almost like an apathy on the other. People who are just, you know, they're not going to ever pursue that next job uh, because they don't really have a motivation to. And it can it can sort of be spun as, well, I'm just really content. Uh, so, so again, how would you distinguish between those two things? Yeah, so I'll give you another example. I, I had a conversation uh, in church with a, with a guy who has a, a debilitating sickness and there's really no cure, at least at this time, for what he's going through. And it really renders him really low energy, and he's not able to do a lot of the things he wants to do. And so he was telling me, I'm, I'm trying to grow in my personal contentment, and I think the Lord has give, allowed this in my life to help me to grow. And so as I hear you think, talking about contentment, how should, should I just sit back and not pursue any other treatment options? I should just be content. And I said, I think, I think you're confusing contentment with kind of a complacency on the other side because it sounds like you're content if this is the the lot that you have and this is what the Lord's done you're not complaining you're not grumbling you're content with this is this is your station and you're 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 willing to accept that from the Lord but at the same time complacency would be like I I don't need to do anything but there's actually treatment options there's or potentially treatment options there's doctors to go see that you could see and so if you go trusting in the Lord and wanting to get this treatment or wanting to talk to a different doctor, perhaps they give you some help to make things a little bit easier. I don't think that's necessarily discontentment. That's really yeah. availing yourself to opportunities. And I think you'd say the same thing with professional life and looking at it. If you're just constantly trying to, to take that next step up so that you can get more to spend on yourself for your own personal glory and for your own honor and your own, your own comfort at the expense of service and taking care of family and blessing the church perhaps and blessing others. These are the things that really um, really help you to work through that. And I think one of the things you can ask is that if I don't get the job, if I don't get the house, if I don't get the whatever, what then 
um, what is my reaction then? So I mean, yeah. with myself and with our kids and with friends, I often say to people, just like, just give it a little time. Like, what, what, what if you just wait a week or wait a few days and think about this and pray about it some? I mean, you oftentimes just say, you know, that was kind of a heat of the moment thing, and I really wanted to do that. But as I think about it, I can see it was pretty selfish. And oftentimes our, our initial motivations are pretty tinged with selfishness and not really the, the godliness which we'd like to put in on it. Mm, yeah. So it seems like you're kind of saying that contentment is less directly about what we're actually choosing to do, and more it, it's more directly connected to our hearts and what we want, our desires and our attitude in making those decisions on what we actually do. So someone could be very content and yet still be pursuing that new job opportunity that they don't currently Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one question that kind of came up in my mind as you're talking about uh, this and even talking about talking with your uh, this friend from church who who struggles with this uh, this illness uh, what's the role of other people in our life, other Christians in particular, in helping us to uh, determine whether or not we're being content or whether or not we should pursue something? I guess I'm struck that sometimes the it's hard for me to even discern my own heart and whether or not my motivations for pursuing something are are truly godly or if they're they're actually selfish in some way. I think the church is really an underappreciated resource. Uh, what God has given us, uh, the lives of believers together to encourage one another and help one another. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. And one of the ways we can do it is just, just to listen and to apply God's word. So so often we, uh, we have our vision tainted by our own selfishness and we're not able to necessarily see. But if you talk to a brother or a sister and you spend time with them and just say, hey, can, this is what I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, can you help me? Let me know what you see. Oftentimes, the, the wisdom and the counsel and just the insight from brothers and sisters who are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, and that love you and care about you and really are not um, one way or the other. They're not jaded, right? They just want, they want what's, what's best for you and glorifies God. They can often speak into that in such a way that's really helpful. So I would definitely encourage people to talk to church members, pastors, friends, and just people that you love and you trust that really want what's best for you and they love the Lord like you do as well. Mm. That can be really hard, though, can it? It, it can be hard to, to ask someone a question like that, because maybe oftentimes I think we already have an answer that we maybe like and hope is the answer, and uh, kind of opening yourself up to hearing something difficult from somebody uh, can be a challenge. Well, that might be a tell, right? That's kind of a, a tell that you, you might really want this thing so much that you're not open to, to what other people say. I mean, any, anything that's really worth doing, uh, and that's especially going to be something that's you know, going to be difficult. You want to make sure that you've, you've cross-examined it and thoughtful and you kind of know the nature of the human heart and the tendency to pronate towards self. I mean, that's, that's really, I think if you say, I, I want to do this, like somebody says, I want to be a pastor, and you say, well, have you talked to anybody? No, I haven't talked to anybody about that. That's something you would say, well, why not? I think you would, you would want yeah. the feedback of pastors in your church and church members and you know, your wife or your friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, speak to the person listening right now who, as they hear you talk about contentment and the lack thereof, uh, they're feeling a little bit of that twinge of, you know, that is me. I am struggling with contentment. Maybe I've been struggling for a long time with contentment in, in one or two areas. Um, what encouragement and advice would you offer to that person who, who wants to grow in that regard? Yeah, I think one of the most helpful things for me on this is to... To, to, I love big picture, right? So big picture helps to inform the, 
the, the day-to-day narrative. So I would want to just make a list of everything that I have and don't deserve. Right. And you're going to find that in reality, with, from a biblical framework, that, that list is going to be humongous. Right? It's going to have every single thing in your life because we don't deserve anything. Everything we have is a gift, starting with our own life. And so then you go on to the other side and you can say, now, what about the things that I want and I truly deserve? The things that are causing me to be discontent. So that just, I think that relativizes the whole conversation into the place of ultimate need and really the, the kind of the, put you in the place of saying, what, let's really think about what, what these terms that I'm using, I need. Yeah. Everything you need has been provided. All right. So now we're in the level of wants. This desire. And it's like, okay, these are good things. And now we want to think about them. So once you've kind of relativized the playing field, now you're looking at it and saying, okay, now I want to think in biblical categories about what these things are. So now does, does God's word speak to this category of life? And does it give me any wisdom on these things? Uh, and, then, and then you start working down into the, you know, the kind of the nitty gritty of the circumstance and just asking yourself why you want this. And uh, what, what would happen if you didn't have this? And kind of working from there. And then I think you begin wanting to try to have some friends and, and you know, to come in and, and, to, and to help you and have a healthy conversation. If you get to that place where you're really lacking wisdom at that point and really don't know what to do. Um, but I, I really think that first step of kind of relativizing the playing field and just remembering, you know, for the Christian that anything short of, of hell should be an occasion to rejoice. And that for us as believers, everything, I think it was Ferguson, that Sinclair Ferguson said, everything we need and everything we lack is found in Christ. Yeah. So we have it all. And so oftentimes our desires are so wide and our appreciation for what we have is so small. So if we can open the, the lens a bit and see everything that we have in God's grace, that helps to put in perspective the things that we really think we need but actually really want. And then we can kind of navigate there with a little bit of a looser grip on those things. And, uh, and with gratitude and, and with patience, because we know that God cares for us. Yeah, I'm struck that even hearing you say, you know, that, that quote from Ferguson, uh, just, just that idea that we have all that we need in Christ, uh, it, it can often maybe sound a little bit trite or cliched, maybe to someone who's grown up in the church all their life, and they do believe that. But I'm, it makes me think that the idea that you're proposing of sitting down and actually writing all that stuff out can be such a helpful thing it helps us to get beyond, you know, the, the one phrase, the cliched sounding phrase, and actually meditate on that truth that we do have all that we need uh, in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're just so used to desire, and then all of a sudden we're on Amazon, we buy it, or we fire off an email, or we just go do it. I mean, it's just the space between a desire and the execution, uh, satisfaction of the desire is so often so small. And we could use with a bit more reflection and consideration and prayer and consideration of what what God has done and what he has given us and really what the moment means for you as an individual. Yeah, yeah. Well, and on that front, the the idea of desire and uh, the satisfaction of that desire, as we uh, lead up, as we enter into Thanksgiving, the holiday, and then immediately after that, we have Black Friday, and then the holiday buying season kind of kicks into full gear, and it can be such a a uh, overpowering consumeristic kind of uh, season for us. Uh, what what things, what practical things, do you plan to do as you enter into Thanksgiving and this season uh, to 
guard your heart to 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 cultivate a a contentment that would uh, endure through all of that. Yeah, it's a good question, I, and I and I hesitate to answer because I think you know different people are going to have different ways that they need to go about these things. I mean, for me personally, I I try to just set basic priorities of and boundaries of whether it's finances or um, gifts or time or any of those things that we're going to do. Um, and so that's usually a conversation my wife and I, we sit down and we try to get out in front of it. Like, what are we trying to do? We, we vary Christmas from year to year, um, the way that we would do things in our home. So it's just, that's just the way we do it. Mm. Um, so we'll, we'll have a conversation in the fall and think about what's upcoming and how we want to do what we're doing in light of the context. Um, so we'll try to get on the same page with that. And, uh, there may be a season when, uh, you know, there's there's an opportunity to show more, uh, to get more gifts, or to to bless a wider range of people. And there may be seasons when it's it's more difficult to do that. And so, taking all those things into consideration, I think just sitting down again, having a plan, trying yeah. to think it through, rather than just you know going to the going on Black Friday with a credit card with a, you know a, a big limit, and then just you know thinking about it later. You know, it's February 10th, and you're like, oh man, what did I do? Yeah. Um, you know, to kind of go in with a plan. I think that's stewardship too, right? Stewardship of, of our money and our responsibility and our time and our own hearts. And and then even even like giving gifts in a context of a family, like that perpetuates. And it's like, oh, you gave us this many gifts. And the next year we're going to get this. And then before you know it, things out of control and people stop feeling bad and discouraged. So it's just a good opportunity to try to sit down on the front end, think it through, plan effectively. Uh, if you're married, talk to your spouse, work it out, pray. Ask the Lord for wisdom, uh, yeah. knowing that these are temptations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that seems to me that's one of the big takeaways from uh, talking to you this morning is just the importance of uh, being aware of our own tendencies towards discontentment in different areas, and then being intentional about thinking about those things, thinking about our own hearts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're constantly engaged in a conversation with ourselves. We don't even realize it's going on, and we're oftentimes reinforcing our own selfishness in the midst of that conversation. So... Anytime you can press pause on that conversation and actually sit down and objectively talk to yourself and yeah, even like yeah. inform your mind and, and wash it over the word and have a, an edifying conversation with a spouse or a friend, I think you're, you're, you're beginning to win. But if you don't, you're, you're basically being conformed by whatever your heart's desires are. And that's just not a good place to be in. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today about contentment and uh, offering some, I think, encouraging advice for for all of us to uh, pursue that, to learn that, along with uh, the likes of the Apostle Paul, um, the secret to contentment. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. It's been a pleasure. That was Eric Raymond on pursuing contentment rooted in God rather than our circumstances. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Chasing Contentment, Trusting God in a Discontented Age, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you leave us a review? That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.